Hello and welcome to Footsteps, a podcast hosted by High Desert United Methodist Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where our mission is loving God, serving others, changing lives. Today I'm going to continue a tradition that started with my father. One of the highlights growing up at Christmas was when he would read a story on Christmas Eve. This is one of the stories that he used to tell. It is called The Story of the Other Wise Men by Henry Van Dyke. The three wise men followed the star of Bethlehem and found the king. The fourth wise men sold all his possessions that he, too, might bring worthy gifts to the Christ child. In his girdle, he carried the sapphire, the ruby, the pearl, but he was delayed. Would he ever reach the king? After Artaban had been delayed on his journey by the sickness of a Hebrew peasant, he rode fast across the plain only to find the three wise men had gone on before. So he must return to Babylon, sell his sapphire, and provide camels to cross a desert. At last he arrived at Bethlehem. The streets of the village Bethlehem seemed to be deserted, and Artaban wondered whether the men had all gone up to the hill pastures to bring down their sheep. From the open door of a low stone cottage, he heard the sound of a woman's voice singing softly. He entered and found a young mother hushing her baby to rest. She told him of days ago and how a star had guided them to the place where Joseph of Nazareth was lodging with his wife and their newborn child, and how they had paid reverence to the child and given him many gifts. And she ended by saying, the man of Nazareth took the babe and his mother and fled away the same night secretly, and it was whispered that they are going far away to Egypt. Artaban listened to her gentle, timid speech, and the child in her arms looked up at his face and smiled, stretching out its rosy hands to grasp at the winged circle of gold on his breast. He spoke. And so it has not seemed good to the God of wisdom to reward my search so soon and so easily. The one whom I seek has gone before me, and now I must follow the king to Egypt. The young mother laid the babe in its cradle and rose to minister to the wants of the stranger that fate had brought into her house. She set food before him, the plain fare of the peasants. Artaban accepted it gratefully, and, as he ate, the child fell into a happy slumber, and murmured sweetly in his dreams, and a great peace filled the quiet room. But suddenly there came a noise of wild confusion and uproar in the streets of the village, a shrieking and wailing of women's voices, and a clamor of brazen trumpets, and the clashing of swords, as a desperate cry, The soldiers! The soldiers of Herod! They are killing our children! The young mother's face grew white with terror. She clasped her child to her bosom and crouched motionless in the darkest corner of her room, covering him with the folds of her robe, lest he should wake and cry. Artaban went quickly and stood in the doorway of the house. His broad shoulders filled the portals from side to side, and the peak of the white cap all but reached the lintel. The soldiers came hurrying down the street with bloody hands and dripping swords. At the sight of the stranger in his imposing dress, they hesitated with surprise. The captain of the band approached the threshold to thrust him aside. Artaban did not stir. 
His face was calm, as though he were watching the stars, and in his eyes he burned a steady radiance. He held the soldier silently for an instant, and then said in a low voice, I am alone in this place, and I am waiting to give this jewel to the prudent captain who will leave me in peace. He showed the ruby glistening in the hollow of his hand like a great drop of blood. The captain was amazed at the splendor of the gem. The pupils of his eyes expanded with desire, and the hard lines of greed wrinkled around his lips. He stretched out his hand and took the ruby. March on, he cried to his men. There is no child here. The house is still. The clamor and clang of arms passed down the street. Artaban re-entered the cottage. He turned his face to the east and prayed, God of truth, forgive my sin. I have said the thing that is not. Save the life of a child. Now two of my gifts are gone. I have spent for a man that which was meant for God. Shall I ever be worthy to see the face of the king? And the mother prayed, Because you have saved the life of my little son, may the Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the swiftly passing years, Artaban moved among the throngs of men in populist Egypt, seeking everywhere for traces of the household that had come from Bethlehem. He stood at the foot of the pyramids, which lifted their sharp points into the intense saffron glow of the sunset. He looked up into the vast countenance of the crouching sphinx, and vainly tried to read the meaning of the calm eyes and the smiling mouth. Was it indeed the mockery of all effort and all aspiration? Later, Audubon was sitting in an obscure house of Alexandria, taking counsel with the Hebrew rabbi. The venerable man, bending over the rolls of parchment, said, And remember, my son, the king whom you are seeking is not to be found in a palace, nor among the rich and powerful. This I know. Those who seek him will do well to look among the poor and the lowly and sorrowful and the oppressed. The other wise men could be seen again and again traveling from place to place and searching among the people of the desperation with whom the little family of Bethlehem might perhaps have found a refuge. He passed through the countries where famine lay heavy upon the land and the poor were crying for bread. He made his dwelling in the plague-stricken cities where the sick were anguishing in the bitter championship of helpless misery. He visited the oppressed and the afflicted in the gloom of the subterranean prisons and the crowded wretchedness of the slave markets and weary toil of galley ships. In all this populous and intricate world of anguish, Though he found none to worship, he found many to help. He fed the hungry, he clothed the naked, he healed the sick, and comforted the captives. And his years went by more swiftly than the weaver's shuttle that flashes back and forth through the loom while the web grows and the invisible pattern is completed. It seemed almost as if he had forgotten his quest. But once he stood alone... At sunrise, sitting at the gate of the Roman prison, he had taken from a secret resting place in his bosom the pearl, 
the last of his jewels, and he looked at it. As he looked at it, a yellow luster, a soft and glowing light, full of shifting gleams of azure and rose, trembled upon its surface. It seemed almost to have absorbed some reflection of the colors of the lost sapphire and ruby. Thirty-three years of the life of Artaban had passed away, and he was still a pilgrim and a seeker after light. His hair, once darker than the cliffs of Zagros, was now white as the white snows that covered them. His eyes that once flashed like flames of fire were dull as embers, smoldering among the ashes. Worn and weary and ready to die, but still looking for the king, he had come for the last time to Jerusalem. He had often visited the holy city before, and had searched through all of its lanes and crowded hovels and black prisons without finding any trace of family of the Nazarenes who had fled from Bethlehem long ago. But now it seemed as if he must make one more effort, and something whispered in his heart that, at last, he might succeed. It was the season of Passover. The city was thronged with strangers. The children of Israel, scattered in far lands, had returned to the temple for the great feast, and there had been confusion of tongues in the streets for many days. On this day there was a singular agitation visible in the multitude. The sky was veiled with portentous gloom, and the currents of excitement seemed to flash through the crowd, like the thrill which shakes the forest on the eve of a storm. The secret tide was sweeping them all in one way. The clatter of sandals and the soft, thick sound of thousands of bare feet shuffled over the stones flowed unceasingly along the street that led to the Damascus Gate. Artaban joined the company with a group of people from his own country, Parthian Jews, who had come up to keep the Passover, and inquired of them the cause of their tumult. And where were they going? We are going, they answered, to the place called Golgotha. Jesus of Nazareth is a man who has done many wonderful works among the people, so that they may love him greatly. But the priests and the elders have said that he must die, because he gave himself out to be the Son of God. And Pilate has sent him to the cross, because he said that he is the King of the Jews. How strangely these familiar words fell upon the tired heart of Artaban. They had led him for a lifetime over land and sea. Now they came to him darkly and mysteriously, like a messenger of despair. The king had arisen, but he had been denied and cast out. He was about to perish. Perhaps he was dying already. Could it be the same one who had been born in Bethlehem 33 years ago, at, the, at whose birth the star had appeared in heaven? and of whose coming the prophets had spoken. Artaban's heart beat unsteadily. It may be that I shall find the king, at last, in the hands of his enemies, and shall come in time to offer my pearl for his ransom before he dies. So the old man followed the multitudes with the slow and painful steps toward Damascus gate of the city. Just beyond the entrance of the guardhouse, a troop of Macedonian soldiers came down the street, dragging the young girl 
with torn dress and disheveled hair. As the Magi paused to look at her with compassion, she broke suddenly from the hands of her tormentors and threw herself at his feet, clasping him around the knees. She had seen his white cap and ringed circle on his breast. Have pity on me, she cried, and save me, for the sake of God of purity. I also am a daughter of the true religion, which is taught of the Magi. My father was a merchant from Parthia, but he is dead, and I am seized for his debts to be sold as a slave. Save me from a fate worse than death. Artaban trembled. It was the old conflict in his soul, the conflict between the expectation of faith and the impulse of love. Twice the gift which he had consecrated to the worship of religion had been drawn from his hand to the service of humanity. This was the third trial, the ultimate probation, the final irreparable choice. Was it his great opportunity or his last temptation? He could not tell. One thing only was clear on the darkness of his mind. It was inevitable, and does not the inevitable come from God? One thing only was sure to his divided heart. To rescue this helpless girl would be a true deed of love. Is not love the light of the soul? He took the pearl from his bosom. Never had it seemed so luminous, so radiant, so full of tender living luster, he laid it in the hand of the slave. This is your ransom, daughter. It is the last of my treasures which I kept for the king. While he spoke, the darkness of the sky thickened, and shuddered tremors came through the earth. The walls of the houses rocked to and fro. Stones loosened and crashed to the street. Dust clouds filled the air. The soldiers fled in terror, reeling like drunken men. But Artaban and the girl whom he had ransomed crouched helpless beneath the wall of the praetorium. What had he to fear? What had he to live for? He had given away the last remnant of his tribute for the king. The quest was over. It had failed. A heavy tile shaken from the roof fell and struck the old man on the temple. He lay breathless and pale with his gray head resting on the young girl's shoulder and the blood trickling from the wound as she bent over him, fearing that he was dead. There came a voice through the twilight, very small and still, like music sounding from a distance, in which the notes are clear, but the words are lost. The girl turned to see if someone had spoken from the window above, but she saw no one. The old man's lips began to move as if to answer, and she heard him say in a Parthian tongue, Not so, my lord. For when did I see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? When saw I you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? When saw I you sick or in prison and came to you? Thirty-three years have I looked for you, but I have never seen your face, nor ministered to you, my king. He ceased, and the sweet voice came again. Again the maid heard it very faintly and far away, but now it seemed as though she understood the words. Truly I say to you, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of my brethren, you have done it to me. 
A calm radiance of wonder and joy lighted the pale face of Artaban, like the first ray of dawn on a snowy mountain peak. One long last breath of relief came gently from his lips. This journey has ended. His treasures are accepted. The other wise men had found the king. Thank you for joining me today in the telling of the story, The Other Wise Men, by Henry Van Dyke. I hope that you appreciate it, and as you search for Christ, you realize that the opportunity to serve Christ is all around you. As always, we thank you for listening to Footsteps. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it with your family and friends. If you have any comments, please email us at footsteps.hdumc at gmail.com. Of course, if you're in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, we invite you to join us in person at High Desert United Methodist Church. If you are unable to join us in person, watch us online at highdesertumc.org. We pray that as you search for Christ, you find that, like the other wise men, the opportunities to serve him are all around you.